I want to thank you for joining our Bible study this evening, and I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As I was studying for this, I came across a couple of thoughts on discouragement. It was intriguing to me the source of these quotes. This was written by a man who was called the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world at his time. He wrote this, You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means, he said, I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. Now, Spurgeon, who was nicknamed the Prince of Preachers, he wrote this, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. When you pause for just a second and think about those quotes, and then acknowledge that one of those was written by the so-called greatest preacher in the English-speaking world and another by the prince of preachers, you will understand that discouragement is no respecter of persons. So we should not be surprised when we arrive here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that we would acknowledge that even the Apostle Paul will say he was pressed out of measure, that he despaired even of life in verse 8. In fact, in verse 8, he says, We, brethren, would not have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. He didn't want them to be ignorant of his emotional condition there. As great as he was, as spiritual as he was, as strong as his character, the Apostle Paul was human just like the rest of us. Discouragement, no respecter of persons. Even those that we would imagine impervious to it, feel it. Paul could have escaped these burdens. Paul could have ran away from the source of these burdens, but he understood he was called by God. And the reality is discouragement is sometimes the inescapable byproduct even of true ministry and service. And what the Apostle Paul will do as he works through these verses is convey, even in the midst of this difficulty and discouragement, that God is the God of all comfort. It is a spectacular segment of verses. One wrote this, By any estimation, these verses frame the Bible's greatest text on comfort. The word comfort occurs no less than ten times in its noun and verb forms in this very brief paragraph that we'll read. He went on to write, essentially one-third of all 31 occurrences in the New Testament on comfort are right here. Paul says more about suffering and more about comfort than any other writer in all the Bible. And here, in this segment of verses this evening, is when he says the most about it. Comfort. 
The word in the Greek implies being called to one side to help. Being next to them to help them through. And in spite of all the trials, in spite of the discouragement, in spite of being pressed above measure, despairing even of life, he writes a letter that is saturated with comfort. I want you with me to note his opening in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right at the onset, this sounds like all the other letters that Paul writes. He addresses that he is an apostle and he is writing to a church. Now he has to address and reiterate that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God on purpose. He is having to answer critics here in Corinth who look at Paul and deem that his suffering means he's not an apostle. Nobody who was truly an apostle of Jesus Christ would ever suffer to that degree. However, Paul flips the script and he says back, in effect, my abundant suffering and the discouragement that I encounter and the abundant comfort that I enjoy through all of it is actually a fact of my apostolic authenticity. He goes so far as to say it was Jesus who personally commissioned me and gave me my message. He was an apostle by the will of God, he says. That's a strong statement. In effect, he's telling them the will of God, Jesus, and and Jesus' calling on my life is what has me here. He sent me to represent him and to preach this message. In effect, to question the Apostle Paul is to question God himself. So he's addressing critics already. He's writing to the church. Here is where the critics are. The saints, he says, church. They're used interchangeably there, saints and church. The point of Paul's opening argument here is that you are God's church. You are not my church And I am God's man, I am not your man. He's really beginning with the reality that I am under attack from critics. And I am going to address this by pointing you to the God of all comfort. Now, you're God's church, you're not my church, but I'm God's man, I'm not your man. He amazingly, even though they are the source of his criticism, wishes them grace and peace. That's the onset. That's the start of this letter. So if we can say, sure, Paul's the apostle. We believe that. And we are the church. It makes everything that he says relevant to us. Now, he's not addressing critics within our congregation, but he's going to teach us much about the God of all comfort. Look with me in verse 3. Blessed be God, Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Now, there's a whole lot there. And I mean, there's a whole lot there. It's kind of challenging to try to take it in and process it as we read that all at once. And I kind of want to work through it just a little bit. While it is clear here, comfort is what sets the tone for this segment of verses. As one pastor said, Paul certainly cannot sing about his circumstances, but he can sing about God who is in control of all of his circumstances. It's really how it should be for all of us. I think it's interesting what he says. He begins by saying, blessed be God. Blessed be God. He is praising God. A man dealing with intense suffering, dealing with personal criticism, having to reestablish the authenticity of his apostleship, is going to say grace and peace to you and praise God. Blessed be God. That phrase is used a couple of times in the New Testament. It's used in Ephesians 1, and it's used in 1 Peter 1, and I think it forms kind of a perfect circle. In Ephesians 1, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And he's going to get really specific. He's going to praise God here for what he has done in the past. Here's Ephesians 1, 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's praising God, blessed be God, for what he has done in the past. Now listen to Peter in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter is saying, praise God for what he will do for us in the future. In Ephesians, blessed be God for what he's done for us in the past. In 1 Peter, blessed be God for what he will do for us in the future. And right here in this moment, in 2 Corinthians, in the midst of this pressure, in the midst of this discouragement, Paul says, blessed be God for what he's doing right here and right now. It communicates to us that we can bless God, praise God for what has happened, for what will happen, and for what is currently happening. That awareness enables our faith to sing to the God of our circumstances, even if we cannot sing of our circumstances. And man, Paul was going through it. He gets really personal. He's telling us, this is a direct commentary on my personal experience. Notice verse eight. We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble 
which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed above, out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Now, I read that verse earlier. I reiterate it now. This is what's going on in Paul's life. This is intensely personal. So when he begins to tell us about the God of all comfort, he's not theoretically propositioning something to us. He's telling us about his own intense personal experience with real harsh suffering and discouragement and the God of all comfort. He's helping us. Now, what's he talking about? This trouble which existed in Asia back in Acts chapter 19. We know that the apostle Paul was working in Ephesus. And the impact of the gospel was to such a degree that the silversmiths who were making money by selling idols had their bottom line hurt by Paul's presence in the gospel. So the silversmiths, the idol makers, want him gone. And we read in Acts 19 verse 23, and the same time there arose no small stir about that way. That way is the way of the gospel, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no small stir, which means it was a big stir, a citywide stir against the Apostle Paul and against the gospel. It gets violent, mobs of people. Paul is actually helped to stay out of the fray, but no doubt about it, he was one of the most afflicted men ever. You know anything about the New Testament, you grasp the Apostle Paul knew what it was to suffer, intensely so in Ephesus. And yet he says that he found the God comforted him in all his tribulation, not in some. He is the God of all comfort who comforts in all tribulation. No loopholes, no overlooked areas, no missed ones, all comfort all tribulation. Tribulation, as he uses it, carries the idea of pressure. Pressure, by the way, that he felt as a result of his ministry. Directly in Ephesus, when this oppressive attack by the silversmiths was so much so that he actually thought he was going to die. Not like us, who when we miss a snack or a lunch, think we're going to starve to death or that we might die if we don't eat. He actually despaired even of life, carrying within him the sentence of death. He thought that he was going to die. And now here in the Corinthian church, he's under attack. Now, Paul was, as I have already referenced, one of the most afflicted men ever that we have an accounting of, certainly within Scripture. He was prone to money concerns. He's prone to health problems. He has relational conflicts, just like any one of us. Now, here's an interesting thing. God's comfort does not terminate in the one who receives it, but rather it goes on from us. I'm struck by the fact that with all the affliction that Paul dealt with in life, and he dealt with a lot, one of the greatest sources of affliction for him was that which came from within the church. Those who called him Apostle Paul or those who were in the churches that he ministered to. 
And what he is saying to us when we arrive at verse 4 is something that's stunning. He's telling us that he desires to comfort those who are at this moment in time critiquing him. And, and that the receiving of God's comfort is not an end in itself, but rather when we receive God's comfort, we in a way become a conduit to pass that comfort along to other people. Verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, the God of all comfort, all tribulation, that we may be able, this is one of the reasons God comforts us, so that we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. We become a conduit for the comfort of God to pass on to others that are in any trouble. Now, again, let me point out something that is interesting within this letter. The comfort of God goes full circle. It would be that I would suffer and that I could be a conduit of God's comfort to you. You might suffer and be a conduit of God's comfort to someone else. And when I suffer or they suffer, they can be a comfort to me. And things go full circle. We become a conduit for the comfort of God. Notice this with me. God comforted Paul by bringing Titus to Macedonia. Here's what he's going to write in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 6. Nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So Paul is saying, God comforts those that are cast down, and he comforted us when Titus came. Titus was a conduit of the comfort of God. Now, here's something interesting. In the next verse, here's what we read. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. So here's what he's saying. I was comforted by Titus. Titus was comforted by you. And now here in chapter 1, he is saying, and all that's happening to me is for your consolation, for your comfort. If we're doing it properly, we all comfort one another in our suffering and affliction and tribulation. The evidence is found in verse 5. For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. It communicates this for as so. It's the idea of an overflow surplus. When Christ abounds in me in comfort, I then abound by Christ towards you with comfort. You say, well, I've never been through exactly what that person is going through. Listen to what one said. Everybody experiences tribulation in different ways. And if you are experienced in God's comfort in an identical trial as someone else, you can be a real help. However, Paul makes it clear that we don't need to experience exactly the same trials in order to be able to share God's comfort. If we have experienced God's comfort at all, then we can, and here's why I emphasize that phrase, comfort them which are in any trouble. You can be an encouragement to me. I can be an encouragement to you. The idea of comfort here is coming alongside to help. You and I can do that for one another. That's how the church works. And what's most stunning to me, perhaps, is that Paul, who was one of the most afflicted men ever, giving us 
a real account of a moment of intense tribulation in his life, under strong critique from a group here in Corinth, still says, blessed be God, God who comforts all comfort in all tribulation, and I'm here, he is saying, in effect, to comfort you. Now, he'll have to present a defense of himself. He's already done it a little, authenticating his apostleship, declaring unto them they're the church of God. They don't belong to him. He doesn't belong to them. But what a beautiful, what a beautiful reminder of the spiritual maturity of the apostle Paul to seek to comfort those who are suffering because he himself had suffered. Isn't human suffering kind of a confusing thing? The subject of human suffering is not easy to understand. There are mysteries that are known only to God. And honestly, I think some suffering occurs and we'll never grasp why until we're in heaven. But it is evident that suffering can also help us minister to others. In fact, it's clear it's one of our callings in life. But there's a little phrase in there that I think needs to be pointed out. He says in there that we have to learn to endure. If we learn to endure, then listen again to verse 6. Whether we be afflicted, when we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Enduring suffering enables us to pass along the comfort of God. But that word endure is specifically inspired and intentionally chosen because it means cheerful or patient endurance. It is an evidence of faith. I can only be a conduit for the comfort of God if I patiently or cheerfully endure my suffering, maintaining my faith in God. If I become bitter, if I become cynical, if I rebel instead of submit, then my trial, my tribulation, my suffering works against me and not for me. If I become cynical and bitter and rebel instead of submit, then my suffering, which could be an enabler of me as a conduit of God's comfort to you works against you and not for you. The ability to endure these difficulties patiently or cheerfully without giving up is evidence of faith and it's a mark of spiritual maturity. And that's inescapable. Yet again, one said, there's a companionship to suffering. It can draw us closer to Christ and to his people but if we start to wallow in self-pity, suffering will create isolation instead of involvement. We will build walls instead of bridges. So the important thing is for us to understand, we have to keep our eyes fixed on God. That's what's being said by the Apostle Paul. He could have turned on the critics in Corinth. This is, after all, the second letter he's had to write to straighten them out. He is enduring harsh suffering, and he's being critiqued by them. And if he didn't have his eyes fixed on God, if he became critical, cynical, and bitter, if he rebelled against God instead of submitting, then his trials would have worked against him instead of for him, and it would have worked against the believers in Corinth instead of for them. There's a companionship. And if we build walls 
if we wallow in self-pity and, and we isolate instead of involve ourselves and we build walls instead of bridges, we're missing out on what God intends for us in this incredibly comforting passage of Scripture. Remember, Paul would say, what God is to you. He said that in verse 3. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. How can you keep your eyes fixed on God? Remember what God is or who God is to you. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Remember what God does for you. He's the God of all comfort. In all tribulation, he can handle your trials. He can make them work for his good and for his glory. He is the Father of mercy. Remember what God wants to do through you. Be a conduit of his comfort. Be an encouragement to others. Come alongside others and strengthen them along the way. Remember who God is to you. Remember what God does for you. Remember what God wants to do through you and grasp. Fix your eyes on him. This is so special to understand. There's a whole lot there. Under attack, under duress, and intensely so. Paul's encouraging and comforting others. This is humbling to me because, to be quite honest with you, I tend to be cynical and build walls and isolate. And that's not what the Apostle Paul teaches us that God wants from us. There's a lot to learn here. I hope you'll take time this week to read it over again. Meditate on it. Think about how this impacts you, how you're honoring God or dishonoring God with your adherence to it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We are truly thankful to have it. Help us, Lord, not to just take this in, but to allow this to change us. May we meditate on it this week. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.